This is the second weekend of Lent. We started last week. We're using uh, this resource, The Way, Walking in the Footsteps of Jesus. This is a really great uh, book that's full of information and uh, the journey from baptism and temptation all the way to the cross and to the resurrection. And uh, so we just encourage you to, to follow along, to let this journey of Lent be one in which you journey with Jesus in the footsteps of Jesus. Last week we started with baptism and temptation, and this week we move on to uh, the healing ministry of Jesus, which is important then and it is still important for us now. And I wonder uh, where it is maybe that you are seeking or needing healing maybe for yourself or for someone else. And I wonder if you will listen for how God might be speaking to you as we worship together tonight and as we look at some stories of Jesus' healing ministry. Let us pray. Lord, I pray that you would open our ears to hear and our hearts to receive your word to us, that it would take hold of us and transform us. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable to you, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We brought this uh, map last week, I, just again to show you a general size. I know, I know you can't read all that. I can't read all of it. I just happen to know what it is. It's in the book. But this is really uh, Palestine or Israel. Israel's about the size of New Jersey. So sometimes when I think of another country, I always assume that it's huge, right? But in fact, the Israel is about the size of New Jersey. Here's where we focused. Hold on. Here's where we were last week, right? The Mount of Temptation, the baptism at the Jordan River, the Dead Sea. We talked about uh, up here in the northern part is the Sea of Galilee, where part of Jesus' ministry takes place. And this is where we are tonight, the Sea of Galilee area. Here's Nazareth, which is Jesus' hometown. We have the Sea of Galilee, Mount Arbel. We have the Mount of Beatitudes. We have Capernaum. We're going to spend a good amount of time tonight in Capernaum. So this is in the northern part of Israel. Along the Sea of Galilee, here are some of those places and some of the miracles that took place. This, this region is around Capernaum is also... Um, the area, it's, Capernaum's mentioned about 16 times, at least 16 times in the Gospels, and at least 12 of the miracles that Jesus performed that are recorded are in this region. So you have Nazareth up here, Jesus' hometown. There is, I'm going to show you pictures in a minute. Jesus would have walked a path from Nazareth all the way down here uh, into Magdala, this port right here where Mary Magdalene was from. Uh, and then over around on this side, Tapka, is uh, the traditional location of the multiplication of the loaves and the fish, the primacy of Peter, this uh, space in which um, Jesus cooked breakfast for the disciples on the beach after the resurrection, the Mount of Beatitudes, and then Capernaum. All of these things from Nazareth up here down to Capernaum is about 30 miles, right? These all are areas that you can... Uh, basically see from one another. It's a very close, all of it's in very close proximity. But this path from Nazareth down into Magdala, into this area of Galilee, is called uh, the Valley of the Doves or the Valley of the Winds. Here's where that path would come out. Maybe, there we go. This is Mount Arbel. 
The path comes down through here and into this area. So following this back up and um, back kind of to the, the south and the west is to Nazareth. This valley of the winds, this path, um, is there's nothing built on this path. One of the things that many of us experienced in the Holy Land uh, on both trips were some of the places that we went that are very ornate and built up and, and holy places. It's kind of hard uh, to really envision Jesus and his disciples being there. It is a, they are all holy sites and, and people encounter God in miraculous ways there, but for many of us that traveled on, on both trips, it was places like this, these pathways in which there's nothing built up over it, yet surely was a path that Jesus would have walked on to get from Nazareth down to Magdala, down to Galilee, down to Capernaum, places like this where we encountered God's presence and felt God's presence because it was just so real. Uh, the dirt is the same dirt. The, the path is the same path. So that would have been the journey that Jesus took. This is looking at that path. Here's Mount Arbel again, and the path goes this way. This is taken from the Mount of Beatitudes. So from the Mount of Beatitudes, you can see uh, that, that area, that region. These just are, are covering uh, banana trees. So uh, that wouldn't have been there at that time, that nice covering there, but that is what that is about. This is a view of then the Mount of Beatitudes up here from Capernaum. We're standing in Capernaum looking at the Mount of Beatitudes. This is the shoreline, the, North, the Galilee shoreline from the Sea of Galilee. We were on this boat taking this picture of the coastline and then another image from Maybe. There we go. One of the boats, another image of the shoreline from the boat. It's really, um, the Sea of Galilee for many of us was the place, one of the most holy places that we were. Again, the dirt is the same dirt. The water is the same water. You could, we could imagine Jesus being on a boat with the disciples on this water. You can imagine Jesus walking on this water fishing in this water with the disciples, it really brings to life all of the scriptures, this um, place, this holy place, this region of Galilee, this area of Capernaum. Capernaum is uh, Jesus, basically his, his hometown after he uh, is baptized and uh, endures the temptation. Luke has him actually going to Nazareth first and then down into the, this area of Capernaum. But Capernaum becomes his home base. Capernaum is the second most important city probably in the Gospels, Jerusalem being the first. But Capernaum is uh, that place, that area along the shore where uh, Jesus called most of the disciples, many of them fishermen. It is the place, as I said, where many of the miracles that are recorded took place. It is a, a significant place in uh, the life of Christ and in our journey of, as followers of Christ. We're going to look first in the Gospel of Mark. They went to Capernaum. And when Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue. Jesus entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. This is a picture of the synagogue at Capernaum. 
with us standing uh, in it. This white limestone was imported in about 300 A.D. Uh, and was then covered over the top of what Jesus would have taught in. But this is the location of the synagogue in Capernaum. So when he says they went to the, the Capernaum and he entered the synagogue, it would have been in this space. Just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. Here's another image of uh, the synagogue. You can see the black basalt uh, stones that are there that are there from a volcanic eruption millions of years ago. The whole area is built upon these uh, rocks and this space, a view of the synagogue. They were all amazed, and they kept on asking one another, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee, that whole area that I was showing you on the map. As soon as they left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. This is a view of Peter's house. Uh, the big building that's on top, that's actually a Roman Catholic church right now. This is a Roman Catholic church, an active church. You can go in. Uh, they were having mass one of the days that we were there. But you can go in, and they have an area in the middle that you can look down. Peter's house uh, is underneath that. I'll show you a picture of that in just a, a second. But this is standing, those same black rocks. It's just facing the other way. So from this vantage point, Turned around is the synagogue, and then looking this way is Peter's house uh, with his church that's now on top of it. This is the Sea of Galilee is literally just on the other side of this church, so it's right there on the shoreline. This is what's underneath that church, this octagonal space uh, that they uncovered and discovered um, and believed they found um, evidence of uh, worship there, things carved in the stones, things um, that depicted this space of worship. They have uh, discovered that a long time ago, it's not new, most of the spaces that were octagonal that had eight sides were spaces of worship, almost always a space of worship. Uh, seven sides would have been that a number of completeness for them. Eight sides is one past completeness or, or made perfect. Uh, and the eighth day is both the, the first day and, and the first day of the week is also the eighth day of the week, the day of resurrection. It was one of the ways that they could identify those spaces. They believe that there was evidence here of uh, someone, people living here, even as uh, this was a worship space. So it's very likely uh, that this was where Peter lived. So standing in that space where you look one way and, and you see Peter's house and you look the other way and you see the synagogue, and, and they're literally right there together. You can imagine Jesus in that space. You can imagine Jesus going from the synagogue to Peter's house and healing Peter's mother-in-law. 
That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons, and the whole city was gathered around the door. And he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. The people were amazed at what Jesus said and what Jesus did. When he spoke, he spoke with words that were powerful and carried authority and were disturbing for some. And word spread quickly about what he was doing. Jesus and the disciples then kind of go through the area of Galilee all around that uh, shoreline, proclaiming the kingdom of God, healing people, and casting out demons. There's two healings in in this story. One is Peter's mother-in-law, and certainly it was the case that Jesus sometimes simply healed those who were sick for sicknesses that we might also encounter. That simple physical illness of a fever or a virus or a cold or whatever that is that, that Jesus is willing to heal. But also the healing that comes when the demons are cast out of the man. We know what it means to wrestle with our own demons. Now, in, in the, that time period, anything that they couldn't name by, medical, by their medical knowledge, they attributed to a demon, usually. So that could be physical or, or psychological or emotional or mental. They didn't have the same knowledge that we have about viruses and germs and about uh, how the brain functions and about mental illness. And so in their lack of knowledge, anything that was beyond their realm of knowing, they were attributed to a demon, right? We, we know better today in terms of some of the things that we experience physically and emotionally and spiritually that they're not all because we're possessed by demons, that there are explanations for that. And today we can get appropriate medical and psychological and spiritual help to to get to the root cause of our illness or our suffering and often find a way to treat that or uh, to work on receiving the healing that God offers us. We know what it means to wrestle with our demons. Most of us do. And in our context, often what we mean by uh, demons are the things that the influences and and the habits, the thoughts that lead us to do things that are destructive to ourselves or to other people. Um, Sometimes we refer to addictions as demons, right? As things that grab hold of us in such a way that that it's as if we, we know that what we're doing is destructive to us and at the same time we hope that what we're doing will provide relief for us. Sometimes it's an addiction. Sometimes it is uh, uh, negative thought patterns or behaviors. Uh, seeking revenge can, can fall into that category or lust or, or greed or the ways in, in which the behavior that we, we choose we know is destructive. And yet at the same time, we're seeking such relief from our own pain and suffering. And, and often we talk about wrestling with our demons or overcoming our demons. But just because we don't understand something, someone's behavior, someone's choices, our own behavior, our own choices, the the caution is not to simply demonize the person, right? In in Jesus' day, when they didn't have all of the knowledge and all of the science and all of the um, information that we have, it was very easy for people to be demonized. 
Sometimes I think we still do that today, even with our vast knowledge and understanding. We tend to link behavior to the person, and when we do that, we provide even more crippling of them or for ourselves of being free from the things that are at work in our hearts and our minds and our our souls. We know what it's like, many of us, to wrestle with what we would call our demons. And at the same time, there are real spiritual forces at work, spiritual demons, evil that is present in our world, and it's important for us to acknowledge that too. We don't want to discount that. There's a fine balance between uh, what is the cause of someone's behavior or someone's illness or someone's uh, suffering. And that we, we also don't want to discount the real presence of evil. But what you'll notice if you read through the gospel stories is that with the demons that were these real spiritual demons, these real uh, places and spirits of, of evil, Jesus was never afraid of the demons. All Jesus had to do was speak to them and they would flee. Jesus was never afraid of the demons, and the demons were always afraid of him. Jesus's power and strength were infinitely and are infinitely greater than any of the forces of darkness, any of the things that unsettle us in that way. And Jesus seemed willing to heal no matter what the cause. Jesus, of course, was clear about what was going on with people. But Jesus always saw the person and loved the person and offered healing to the person, demonstrating the power of God. Maybe this story about the demons being cast out, maybe that's the story that you need to hear tonight for yourself or for a loved one. That no matter what is at work in your heart and your mind, whatever you wrestle with that is not necessarily identifiable by medical knowledge or psychological knowledge or whatever that is, whatever that wrestling is that Jesus sees and knows and is stronger than any darkness that encroaches upon your space. Maybe that's what you need to hear The next story comes right after that. Uh, Jesus and the disciples had been throughout Galilee, and when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So So many gathered around that there was no longer room for them, not even in front of the door. And he was speaking the word to them. Then some people came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. And when they could not bring him in to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And after having dug through it, they let down the mat on which the paralytic lay. This is a rendering, just a drawing, right, of what that might have been like. That the, the roof on top that would be some kind of thatched material would have been able to, to break through that. But that these friends brought the paralytic to Jesus. And when they couldn't get to him through the crowds, they went in by another way. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. 
Now, some of the scribes are sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this fellow speak in this way? It's blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? At once Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were discussing these questions among themselves, and he said to them, why do you raise such questions in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, stand up and take your mat and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, stand up, take your mat, and go to your home. And he stood up and immediately took the mat and went out before all of them, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. There's a couple of important things, I think, from this text Uh, One is the importance of the body of Christ when it comes to our healing, when it comes to how we endure our suffering and our challenges. Jesus healed this man when he saw the faith of the friends, not the faith of the paralytic, but the faith of the friends. And I'm wondering if you have people who will help you get to Jesus when you can't get there on your own, who will believe for you when you have trouble believing Do you have people who will carry you to Jesus and get you there in any way, by any means possible? Do you have people to do that? And perhaps the second part of that question is, are there people that need you to do that for them? Are there people who need your help getting them to Jesus, believing for them, your faith being strong when theirs is weak. We're not in this on our own. We're in this together as the body of Christ. The paralytic was healed by the faith of the ones who carried him to Jesus. Maybe someone, and maybe someone needs you to carry them to Jesus. The second part of this story is that sometimes the root of our illness or our disease isn't physical, But still, Jesus offers healing to us. Sometimes it's not our bodies that are broken, but it's our hearts or our minds or our spirits, our lives. And in in this story, in telling this man, your sins are forgiven, that was Jesus' first response. It's as if Jesus is saying to him, I see you. I understand what is paralyzing you. I understand what you need He wasn't saying he didn't need to be able to walk, but he also understood that maybe it wasn't the physical paralysis that was keeping him bound. Jesus sees and and knows what we wrestle with, knows when we are broken in ways that are not just our bodies. Jesus sees and, and knows when we miss the mark that God has set for us, and Jesus offers forgiveness and mercy and healing And sometimes it is the case that Jesus heals our hearts and our spirits before our bodies are healed. But all for the glory of God. Sometimes our struggle is with guilt and and shame and past decisions and those things that keep us from the fullness of life. And sometimes that's enough to paralyze us on the journey So maybe this is the story that you need to hear tonight about either having someone take you to Jesus or you being willing to take someone to Jesus 
or receiving the healing of your heart and your spirit, your soul, as a means of the healing that glorifies God in you. The last story for tonight comes out of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8. As he went, the crowds pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years, and though she had spent all she had on physicians, no one could cure her. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his clothes, and immediately her hemorrhage stopped. Then Jesus asked, who touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and press in on you. But Jesus said, someone touched me, for I noticed that power had gone out from me. When the woman saw that she could not remain hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. He said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. I'm going to put some images up, and, and I'll talk about these images. This was a place that we went to this year. We didn't get to go on the first trip. This particular building, I don't think it was even built. Uh, this space wasn't available to us our first trip. This is in Magdala, where Mary Magdalene is from. This woman, the hemorrhaging woman, is not Mary Magdalene, but this is in that space. It was a very important city, a very well-known city and port there on the Sea of Galilee that would have been at the kind of the end of that path that Jesus would have walked from Nazareth to the Sea of Galilee. And in this story, we realize the depth of Jesus's compassion for the sick and for the troubled. This woman reaches out to Jesus, being trampled by all that are around her, and simply touches the hem of his robe. And Jesus notices the power that goes out from him. She reaches out in faith, even from the bottom of underneath every, the weight of all that she's carrying. She reaches out to touch the hem of his robe, and the power goes out from him, and she is healed. When you read through the Gospels, notice Jesus' attention to those who are sick, to those who are blind, to those who are lame, to those who can't hear, to those who suffer in any way. And take heart to know that when you are sick, when you are suffering, when you are feeling alone or rejected or lonely, that Jesus notices, and has compassion. When maybe you're feeling like the crowds are pressing in all around you and all around Jesus and you can't even get to Jesus, Jesus notices you. These images in this room were stunning. This is a whole wall. This mural is the, the height of the wall. You can go into the room and there's places to sit around the room. And this image is simply mesmerizing and life-like. This is just a blown-up shot so you can see the woman reaching out in the midst of the dirt and the feet and the crowd that pressing, is pressing in on Jesus, reaching out and the power of Jesus <laughs> goes out to her. Maybe tonight, this is the story of healing that you need. 
the encouragement to know that no matter how low you are, no matter how long you've been suffering, no matter how difficult it is to get through the crowd to get to Jesus, Jesus is still noticing you. That you can still reach out to Jesus and believe that he has the compassion and the power to heal you. Sometimes in this journey in which we all know what it means to suffer, we all know what it is to need healing in some ways at some points in our lives. And some of us, for longer periods of time or or more often, are, are in need of healing and compassion and kindness. Sometimes we wonder if God is still with us. But if you look through the gospel stories, the good news is that Jesus still still heals hearts, still forgives sin, still heals our bodies and our minds and our spirits, still casts out demons, still sets people free. Jesus shows up. And Jesus won't ever turn away from you or look away from you no matter how deeply you are suffering. Jesus offers power and peace in his very presence even now. It's also true that sometimes healing doesn't come the way that we want it to. Sometimes healing doesn't come as we want it, but that doesn't mean that healing is absent. Our bodies are temporary houses for our spirits that are eternal. And our ultimate healing for any of us comes when our souls and our spirits are no longer bound by this body, by this flesh. But in the meantime, we witness God's power in Christ as lives are changed, as people are set free, as people are reconciled to God and to one another, as sins are forgiven, as we live fully and freely in God's grace. One of the Greek words for healing is is sozo, which is the same word. It means wholeness, and it is also where we get our word salvation. That the healing is not always a cure, but it is a wholeness. And Jesus always offers wholeness, always offers us healing in that way, even if it doesn't mean a cure. Jesus offers us healing. Some of you, even today, are suffering. You're longing for healing in your body, in your mind, in your spirit. You're longing for restoration and reconciliation. You're longing to be free from guilt or shame or burdens that weigh you down, maybe even paralyze you and keep you from living. You're, you're longing for your lives and your hearts that are broken to be made whole. And for some of you, it's not you, but a family member or a friend, someone else close to you, and you are pleading with God for their healing. These stories, 2,000 years old, are our stories even today. So I invite you this week to sit with them, to let them speak to you, to decide that you're willing to keep reaching out to Jesus from wherever you are for whatever you need, and to believe that Jesus still has the power 
and the compassion, the willingness, the desire to provide healing for you in a way that changes your heart, changes your life, sets you free to live fully in the grace of God. Jesus' healing ministry was important as it brought glory to God. It's important for us as well. In the midst of this broken world, that Jesus sees us, notices our suffering and pain, and enters into it with us, making us whole. Wherever it is that you need healing tonight, my prayer is that you would allow the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to bring that to exactly where you need it in exactly the way that God provides it. Let us pray. Lord, we're grateful that you see us, that you notice us, that in our suffering and our pain, when so often we think that we are alone, when sometimes we think that you have maybe rejected us or abandoned us, that we know from these stories of who you are that you still heal us. You still love us. You still have the power and the compassion to meet us where we are and to make us whole even when that healing isn't necessarily the cure that we want. We can trust that it is the wholeness for which we are created. And so we pray for each of us in our own suffering and our own place of need that your spirit would meet us there. Give us hope. Renew our faith. Strengthen us to receive the gift of your wholeness, of your salvation, of your healing that is still for us today. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.